Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. Welcome back to part two of a four-week series with Father Ryan Adorjan as we dive into C.S. Lewis and frankly, his most important works, or at least the ones that we are going to most enjoy talking about because C.S. Lewis was a little bit of a, how would you say this, a giant. I mean, Chesterton was a physical giant and a literary giant, so much so that it's kind of hard to know where to start. Lewis, in a lesser way, was a giant. I don't think I'll ever get through all the books by Lewis that I want to read in a lifetime. But today we're talking about one of the books in the series that definitely makes Lewis popular, makes him still well-known and well-beloved even decades later. And that's The Horse and His Boy, which is part of the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm curious to know even a little bit later on if there's going to be more movies to come in this series. But I can tell you right now that the books are about 10 billion times better. I only read this one recently for the first time four or five years ago. And of all the ones in the series, I remember it moving me the most. I don't remember why. Today, Father Ryan is going to remind me and remind all of us. So it's going to be great. In just a moment, we'll be sitting down here in the Love Good Studio in Tampa, again with Father Ryan Adorjan. In the meantime, enjoy this little excerpt of Creative Potential off of the 2020 EP by the same title by Scott Mulvihill. Father Ryan, welcome back. Thanks. Beautiful day. I'm wearing the same thing as I was last week. You're wearing the same thing as you were last week. And that I wear every every day. day. Yes, yes. Every day. I'd like to have a strongly worded conversation with whoever decided that we should wear black, particularly in the summertime. How do you do Florida when you're all black? That's rough. Yeah. You just put a hat on and you offer it up or whatever. So we wear coat and tie, not so much in the fall and in the late spring. But there are days where I'm I'm wearing at least a coat and a button down on Jesuit High School's campus, and you just you start sweating at the very beginning of the day. You don't stop sweating until the very end of the day, and then you just have to take a cold shower at night. Otherwise, you'll never get to sleep. It reminds me of being on pilgrimage in Rome in the summertime. Mm. There's no escaping the heat. None. Yeah, but I love it. I really do. I don't really love the heat. So here we are. I mean, yeah, that explains why you are a native of where you're a native. But it's a dry heat down here. Uh, no, it's not. I, I was it's told just... I'm supposed to say that anytime the topic of the weather comes up in Florida, and it's not a dry heat. And I'm upset about whoever told me that. Yeah. We'll be getting that's another strongly worded letter I'll be writing when I get home. And I don't really like the extreme cold either. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It was 88 degrees and very humid when I picked you up yesterday, and you left a very 
Chicago was 61 and raining Ugh, when I left. Which 61 is a nice temperature. Mm-hmm. And raining is a nice phenomenon. But combined in May, no, no. Not fun. No, no. No, it's just gloomy and cold. Uh-huh. Anyway. You said this was the first time you've traveled, at least by plane, since July of 2020. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I was sort of grounded for a while. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the past year. I, I know we got to dive into some horse and his boy in a minute here, but I know a little bit of what you've been through, of what it's like being in Illinois this time of human history, you know? Yeah. But give us a, a brief snapshot because a lot of people really haven't heard much from you since, you know, last season of the podcast. Yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> it's me again. Yeah, it's a, a completely different world here in Florida than it is in Illinois. Illinois is starting to open up. Right now we're recording this early June 2021. So Illinois is really starting to open up. Right now we're in what's called a bridge phase between phase four and phase five. You still have phases. So we're still in this phase world. And this bridge phase, finally, for the first time, we've been able to open up the church to 60% capacity and reduce social distancing to arm's length or three feet, whichever is greater. Fine. I'm just so whatever about the whole thing at this point in time. So much has been thwarted because of COVID. So much has been undone because of COVID. I talked, I think last time, last episode that I'm moving this summer and it feels like I I was sort of shorted a year. You know what I mean? But I wasn't shorted a year. And that's what's important to remember is that this was our life. It wasn't a break from our life. It was our life and something that I've tried to impress upon people because it's something that in prayer has been impressed upon me is that the last year for us has been an hour of visitation for us. Can we find the Lord in the midst of difficulty or will we just panic the whole time and lose every single thing that was offered to us? You know? Yeah. That God was not away from us in COVID and could we have grown in virtue? Could we have grown in desire? Could we have grown in in love for the things that were taken away briefly, like communal worship, for example? Or are we just going to panic and get lost in this whole thing about the bishops and the churches and the this and the that and you people and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I understand. I hated, I didn't get ordained to celebrate mass in front of a camera in an empty church. So I feel the pain there. But at the same time, I, I think that I was able to grow through that. And I hope that a lot of people were also. So as we open up, I'm excited and I can't wait for the virtue signaling to end so that we can just be free and open. And and I don't want to say the new normal. I hate that phrase, but I, I just want to go back to, I don't like this feeling, at least in Illinois, of high scrutiny, mm. high scrutiny. And not just by the government, but by people who think that it it's their right to scrutinize mm-hmm. every little detail, which as I was telling you yesterday in, in the car is right now in Illinois law is being codified. Scrutiny is being codified crazy, yeah. in public oversight of non-public schools and health measures and things. No, 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 mm-hmm. thank you. No, thank you. That's, we have private schools for a reason. So anyway. It's funny hearing you talk about it because every now and then I'll hear a talking head or even our president say something about just the state of affairs and how we're all coming out of this. And even recently when President Biden said something about, you know, if we behave, essentially, if we behave, we can actually enjoy July 4th and celebrate a certain independence, you know, from even the virus. And I had a hard time taking a lot of that seriously because 
things have been normal in Florida for most of the past year. You know, the only thing that has been not normal have been the masks, but even those have been widely ignored. It's been, for the most part, optional, you know, especially on the local level and individual restaurants and places of business. And, you know, most schools are now mask optional. I mean, you got places like Idaho where they're banning even the bans. You're not allowed to impose masks or any sort of the social distancing norms we've had up until this point. So it's funny how different everybody's reality has been for the last 15, 16 months. One of the things that has kept me sane is friendships with people like you, conversations like these, reminding me of the essentials, getting back to the, the things that really do endure. There'll be a day, not that far in the future, where we sort of forget about COVID. We won't forget about this stretch of time, but its effects will eventually, you know, I think, be weaned and we'll kind of live in reality again as we remembered it perhaps before and hopefully in in fuller color than ever before. Because one of the things that I have seen, certainly amongst young men, you know, on this high school campus that I work on, is that actually the the craziness of COVID has sparked widespread conversion. Because suddenly they're looking at the world and they're saying, nothing dependable, nothing that they can rest their their faith on, they can even stand with, with firm foundation on, and they're looking for something immutable, something eternal. And of course, you find that in faith, you find that ultimately in God himself. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's worth noting that the effects of COVID are, 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 are the non-physical effects of COVID are way worse mm. <laughs> than the physical effects are. And that's something we're all going to have to be attentive to. We're going to have to look out for each other a bit better, I think. I myself am noticing just a lot of kind of psychological effects, you know, uh, in my people, in the parish, in my Mm. own life and having to really, you know, we can't underestimate the effect of what's happened to us. What I also want to say though, and this is just for the record, that I, I, because you and I are both talking heads, remember? We can't, Mm. you know, but neither one of us are denying, of course, the reality of COVID. And I, I myself had COVID, you know, and was quite sick for a long time. It was not an enjoyable experience. So, but it is, it's time to make our own choices and to move on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. move on. So let's move on. Let's move on to the uh, horse and his boy. I mean, I'm not joking when I say, when I read this four or five years ago, it was my favorite in the entire series, maybe apart from the last battle, yeah. right? I don't remember why. A lot of people say that about the horse and his boy. And the horse and his boy comes more or less right in the middle of the series, maybe more towards the front end, actually. Mm -hmm. So remember that there is a debate, and I don't know why there is a debate, about the order that these books are meant to be read, Mm. because, of course, they were not written in the order that they're meant to be read. So that's maybe we can talk to Clive Staples one day in the true Narnia about that. But for now, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was written first, and actually The Magician's Nephew was written second to last, but that's the first. But the magician's nephew. If you read them in the order in which events occur in the stories, you should read magician's nephew, then the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, then horse and his boy, then Prince Caspian, mm-hmm. then Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the Silver Chair, and the Last Battle. But that's not the order in which they were written. Nor is it the order in which they've released the movies. That's not exactly. helpful either. Wow. Exactly, and they haven't released all the movies. And it's kind of a. I think they were waiting because there was such a. Uh, kind of disastrous response to the last one or two. Yeah. That they decided we've just got to let this thing 
be buried yeah. and then try again in like 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Well, that might be the way. Yeah. yeah. So the horse and his boy comes more or less earlier in the series, kind of middle, early, I guess. And the horse and his boy is different because it's the only one of them that doesn't take place in Narnia or, and or, it doesn't involve people from our world going into Narnia. Mm. It talks, I mean, Narnia, you have this whole like land, right? It's not just Narnia, but it's Kalerman and Arshan land and this more or less world that C.S. Lewis has created with different nations and cultures and, and peoples and ideas. And so all of that is going on at the same time as the Narnia drama is unfolding with our favorite characters from our world who mm-hmm. go through the wardrobe into Narnia. So Horse and His Boy is unique in that way. And I, I find that interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, because they're still traveling toward Narnia. So even the people in this world are able to recognize Narnia as more or less the truest land. Now, T.S. Lewis is making a lot of political kind of observations in his writing. That's, I mean, his that's what writers do. So using allegory, he's making political observations. He's making religious observations, which I, I wish we had time to get into, but we really don't. But they're quite interesting, actually. And if you really want to dive into that, I recommend a book by Joseph Pierce called Further Up and Further In, which is a short book. I'm holding it now. It's maybe 200 pages. And it gives a very good summary and synopsis of of each of the chronicles, but then kind of the overarching vision of C.S. Lewis and, and Narnia. But The Horse and His Boy is a story of adventure. The Horse and His Boy is the story of a boy and his horse. <laughs> Shasta is the name of the boy and Bree is the talking horse. And the two of them together are escaping the land of Kalerman, uh, a kind of a maybe oppressive regime controlled place. And they're trying, they've each been kidnapped. Bree was captured as a young horse and Shasta was sort of being held, not hostage in Kalerman, but he, the beginning of the story is him kind of arriving and being taken in by somebody, a man who finds Shasta in a boat by himself, an abandoned baby basically. Mm -hmm. And is, so he's clearly not a Kalerman being raised in Kalerman, this place that's not really his home. And when the time is right, he decides to escape this land with Bree, the talking horse, and they, they escape the land toward freedom, toward their true home. The other reason why I think that this is so compelling is not just because it's an adventure, but because it's so clear that it's a it's a providential adventure. That's the way to say it. It's an adventure on which they are under the impression is their own idea, is their own goal, is their own, they've they picked the route, they've done everything. But throughout the story, Aslan keeps revealing himself. Hmm. To them, and he reveals himself to them sometimes frighteningly. The, the famous scene is sort of at night in a fog, and Shasta can feel that he's not alone. That's Something right. is walking with him, yes. and he feels like, oh gosh, like there's a predator nearby. There's something really scary near me. And then, you know, he sees a, a cat. You know, oh my gosh! Or one time, Aslan appears as a, a pack of lions, and he drives actually 
the other main character, Aravis, who's a girl from a noble Calarmean family, who's also trying to run away because she's being forced into marriage. So she's running away. And so this pack of lions, which turns out to be one lion, leads Shasta and Aravis together. And of course they yes. fall in love. So that's a beautiful part of the story. And there's one part which I will never forget. It's 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 the thing that made me really understand Lewis's vision of Aslan sort of as the Christ figure that Shasta looks off the horse and he sees where he thought this presence was and the fog clears and he just sees next to him these big lion footprints hmm. in the desert and he says the footprints are filling up with water even from the footprints of Aslan living water flows hmm. love it I mean Aslan think of that great line I think it's Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe isn't it is he a tame lion no, maybe it's magician's nephew. Is he a tame lion? No, but he is good. Yeah, he is good. And so Shasta discovers that he's being led on this journey by this lion who clearly is not tame, who is, as Father Dave from Steubenville says, is a sort of a wild goose. You know, he's not a tame lion, but he is good. And then, kind of the rallying cry of Shasta and Bree, the horse. They keep shouting, Narnia and the North, to Narnia and the North, as their rallying cry, get me out of Callerman in the South, to Narnia and the North. Again, they're not coming from England through a wardrobe. They're not using the, the three rings of the magician. They are in this world already, and yet they sense this desire for home, mm. that where they are in captivity, forced into an arranged marriage, the horse is captured and he's not able to run freely. Shasta is sort of filled with this dread, like he's not really from here. I don't know who I am. And so each of them are on their own journey into Narnia and the North, that is to freedom, to a homeland. And that's a huge theme of all of the chronicles, the movement from one place into another, out of captivity, into not just freedom, but into a homeland. And so go further up, go further in, that famous rallying cry from the last battle. I mean, that is such a, that encapsulates everything. So what do you do when you get to your true homeland? Well, you go further up into it. You go further into it because it will always, there will always be more to, to discover. We talked about that with the weight of glory a little bit, that when you encounter glory, it's not like, wow, this was a great finite cup of glory. Mm. No, there will always be more. It will always be unfolding. Jesus says, I make all things new. And remember that new things are still things. So he makes even new things new, which is why Narnia, the true homeland, will never be boring. Mm. And that's important, I think, to point out. And I would just say then the final reason that the, the, the horse and his boy is so appealing to people is because, again, of the way that Aslan reveals himself in such specific ways and it's one of the only places, maybe he talks like this with Lucy and other places. Lucy and Aslan always have a very special bond throughout the Chronicles. But Aslan reveals himself to Shasta in, in this way. And I think this might be my favorite quote from the whole book. Aslan approaches in a fog. He approaches Shasta in a fog. And they engage in conversation with each other. Shasta doesn't know who it is. But Shasta begins, he feels comfortable, and he begins to tell of his sort of difficulties. 
you can think of Shasta either as a character from a series of unfortunate events <laughs> or in kind of a, like a St. Paul figure as well. Somebody who's been shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and lost and all this stuff, but at the same time is willing to say, and through it all, I have been led. So he's telling this, this mysterious figure about his misfortunes and especially about how scary it was for him to be chased by this pack of lions, not just once, but twice. Mm. And then Aslan, who reveals himself as Aslan, says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. So that's a cool scene in the book. Mm. I was the lion who drove you, who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horse the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you would reach Arshenland in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight to receive you. Mm. I get goosebumps reading it too now. Yeah, I was the lion on this specific journey of your life with the with the houses of the dead and the, the last mile so that you could get to this place in time. But you know what? Shasta, I was the lion who pushed you in the boat the lion you do not remember at the beginning of your life. I have been with you, Aslan says, from the beginning of your life until now. And that all of your misfortune has not been away from me. It's not been unknown to me, but it has been allowed by me. And by suffering your misfortune, you've come to see me and meet me and know me and love me. Mm. I'm not the cause of your misfortune, Aslan says, I didn't put you as a child near death in the boat, but I led you. And this is awesome. A child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Hmm. And this is maybe the last point I'll make is that the man <laughs> that sat there was horrible to Shasta. I mean, Shasta... The, he's a Calarine fisherman. His name's Arshish. Shasta was like his slave child, basically. I mean, it, it was abusive to him. He was sort of, you know, Arshish was planning to sell him away. I mean, mm. it, this was not like a, a, a good story. But that phrase, where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. So the man is wakeful at midnight. And I often think of like, Midnight, what are people doing at midnight? Sleeping. So that's something that's important right there. He's wakeful at midnight. While the rest of the world is asleep, Arshish is awake. He's sitting. He's not laying down. He's not tossing and turning. He's sitting. He's not trying to sleep. Why? When the rest of the world is at peace and quiet, is he up? Is he awake? Is he looking? Is he searching for something? And then it doesn't say, wakeful at midnight to begrudgingly take you. To, be, to under duress feed you because he feels guilty, but he says to receive you. So that even in the most difficult situations, the most difficult people on earth, there was still one moment in that man's life, Arshish's life, where he was awake, watching, and ready to receive a gift that was given to him, even if he blew it mm. down the road. And so, so often we're tempted to write off people who cause us harm. We're, we're tempted to write off people who treat us terribly. 
But I think here we're, we're again brought back to the lesson from the weight of glory that you're you've never met somebody who's not immortal. You've never met somebody who's not possessing a soul created in the image and likeness of God. And that a lot of the drama of our life is going to unfold because of these relationships with people. Mm. And the thing that attracts Aravis, who's initially kind of like, Shasta, you're like an immature boy on his horse. Like, come on. The thing that attracts her to him eventually is that at every moment, sometimes unwittingly, sometimes unknowingly, but then at the end of the book, very intentionally, Shasta is choosing a relationship with the true, the good, and the beautiful. He's, he's, he's a virtuous character at the end of it. So I think that those are reasons why The Horse and His Boy is so appealing to people, maybe more so than the other books. And that's why we chose it as uh, from all the Chronicles, because it had a huge effect on me as well, is that number one, it's different than the other ones. So it's, it's not us going into Narnia through a wardrobe. It's something taking place elsewhere, but it still shows the desire for home. And it's, it shows the drama of our, of our own journeys toward home so well. The dark nights, the sleepless nights, the storms, the sandstorms, the deserts, the, the thirst, the hunger, the fear, and the joy of, of looking back and discovering the whole time we have been led. And led not just from this big moment, this time of duress, through this time of COVID, for example, or whatever, but led from the very beginning. I was the lion you do not remember who ushered your mother to the hospital in the middle of the night after, you know, early, two weeks early to Payless Hospital on a Tuesday, raining in 1992. I was with you from that moment. You know what I mean? And that I think is is so appealing to people, the idea uh, of being led, despite all the efforts that we make to run away. And especially in those hidden moments. I think that's what struck me when I read this years ago, and you've reminded me of everything I love about this book, so thank you. There's this profound sense of a, of a lion or of a god who is unpredictable, who is at times even dangerous, and yet always with us, always guiding, always protecting, uh, always moving us along according to his divine providence. And, you know, I, I think it would have been around this same time five years ago and reading The Horse and His Boy that I also read Alphonse de Liguori, mm. Uniformity with God's Will. Mm. Highly recommend it if for no other reason than it's only 40 pages long. It's the best little book you can find on the spiritual life out there without having to dedicate months or years of your life. It'll take you a few days to read. But the whole book is basically this. There's nothing, nothing that happens in our lives that isn't a gift from the heart of the Father. That everything is in fact ultimately ordered towards his greater glory and our ultimate good. And even the mess, the brokenness, the exhaustion, even the sin is somehow swept up in his divine love and his divine providence, redeemed and transformed if we let it. And it becomes ultimately for his greater glory as well. I think that's just really exciting because it allows us to live with a boldness, a holy boldness, because there's nowhere God's going to lead us where he's not going to direct and guide every every step along the way. That's felt really, really true in my own life, even in the past year. When I was reading this five years ago, there was a longing for that to be true as my life continued to, to unfold. There was even a reflection on how it was true in the years leading up to that point. But in some ways, I think it, it laid a, a deep seed in my soul that almost became intuitive 
Of course, God is with me. Of course, God is opening those doors, surprising me with his goodness, his glory, his wonder, and his love every step of the way. Again, it's this total shift in mindset. It's putting on a lens through which we can now see the glory of God everywhere. Everywhere. So I think the takeaway, maybe the encouragement for me has always been, and I think for for listeners as well, is to be in a place where you can be wakeful, Mm. where you can be wakeful and then not throw it away, you know, but to be wakeful to the beauty of the bayou, (laughs) (laughs) to be wakeful to the beauty of the idea that I, I don't have to manufacture this life. That I don't have to. I, I don't have to create my own identity. Everything worth having is given to me freely, and the call is not to create it in my workshop, but to receive it. You know what I mean? That's that's I think where it needs to start, and that often for me, for many, needs to take a a pause of life sometimes, and to really refashion priorities. Mm. Not everything depends on you. Not everything is up to you to create and manufacture contrary to the social media age, you know? Yeah. That your value, your worth, your identity comes from somewhere else and it's been there and it's been a gift to you from the very beginning. Are you wakeful enough to see it? You know, Isaiah says, the Lord says to Isaiah, I am doing something new. Do you not perceive it? Mm-hmm. So Lord, give me the strength and the eyes and the nose, frankly, and the ears and the, you know, to see and perceive the new things that you're doing in me so that I'm not so stressed, so that I'm not so panicky, so that I'm not so caught up in in what's happening in the, as we said last time, the, the nations and cultures and arts and civilizations. But truly, as you said, help me to be caught up with the activity of the heart of God, Mm. which is not so far away after all. Beautiful. Father Ryan, I dare say the best is yet to come. You know how I think that's true? Because we've not even talked about my favorite C.S. Lewis books yet. Next week is Mere Christianity, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. The week after that is The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce. Uh, Thanks for reminding me of how beautiful and timeless Chronicles of Narnia really is, not just because of the line, the witch in the wardrobe that we've all probably read at some point in childhood, but all seven books in this series worth reading, especially in order. And to see the, the rich allegory that this is for the gospel, for the Christian life, for all of us on our journey towards our heavenly homeland. Uh, Father Ryan, we'll see you next week. Peace out. Peace. Black hole in my heart, black hole in my favorite sweater. Stitching my scarlet letters Someone call, someone call, someone call I don't know who I am at all Someone call, someone call, someone call I don't know who I am at all You're listening to Don't Know Who I Am by Rebecca Rubion off of her 2016 album, Sleepless Nights. Another really fun, joyful, edifying conversation with Father Ryan Endorsion today. As we said next week, we're going to continue this adventure with C.S. Lewis. See, about a year ago, we did a five-part series on orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. That was with my good friend, Jason Craig. That was a really fun way to embrace the summer and to break up a couple of seasons in the Love Good Podcast. Rather than dive into a single book, 
Father Ryan and I have, of course, decided to dive into a single author who is hugely influential, not only in our lives, but really the last century of Christian culture and certainly of great literature as well. So we're just getting started here. We're so pumped you guys are tuned in. A little reminder that the, the biggest sale in Love Good History is happening right now at lovegoodculture.com slash store. Everything must go. Literally everything. We've got a few thousand copies of Orazio that we are selling for as little as $1 a book, particularly to our patrons. We've got beautiful mason jars, vinyl records, books, exclusively published books that you can't find anywhere else, even a handful of autograph CDs that if you're anything like me, you don't quite know what to do with, but come on, an autograph CD for as little as $5? That could be worth something like, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of dollars in like 30 or 50 years. Who can say? But we cannot wait to get as much of our current inventory into your hands as possible. Again, go to lovegoodculture.com slash store. Nothing but love and prayers here from the Florida studio. And uh, we'll see you again next week with uh, Father Ryan Adorjan. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.